Welcome to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. My name's Tom Douglas, and I am uh, the proprietor of a few joints here around town, including the brand new Lola's. Got the Yay! doors open. Lola's I had open. Uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner there yesterday. It was uh, I tried every item on the menu, and it was delicious. It's it's so different than some of the reopenings we've done so far because Lola is literally like I close my eyes. 19 months passed, and we reopened as the exact same restaurant. Wow. Congratulations. It's like a little deja vu. Weird. It's, it's hard to do. It's well, very hard to do. I'm not saying it's exactly the same, but conceptually, the menu look, you know, graphics. Like, we changed a bunch at Carlisle Room when we opened there in, uh, 10 weeks ago. But, uh, yeah, it's just funny. It's, it's like, oh, my God. I, wasn't I just here? But it's 19 months later. Good just, feeling. Just Good so feeling. crazy. I can't wait for the palace. Thanks, Terry. That's just awesome. Because that's also another place that, yeah, know, I know. But the, the feeling I, is there's really no cool. one to work. That's the problem. I get it. I get it. We have a chef opening. Would you be interested? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, and who are you? Who used that? And I'm Terry Rotiro, the, the chef in a hat, yeah. co-host for what have we been doing this for? Twenty-one years. Twenty now? years or so. Twenty you years. Ditched me last week to go see your pal Willie Nelson down. I was in, on uh, the road again. Mm-hmm, you were. It was fantastic. Willie was fabulous at the Santa Barbara Ball. He was fantastic. Uh, he was himself. He was very happy. Uh-huh. And uh, he played really well. Beautiful voice. 88 years old. 88? Congrats, my man. I hope when I'm yes. 20 years younger, I can still be alive and sing. <laughs> That's all I can say. Yeah. You know, it's, it's amazing. And uh, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's beautiful. It's an American icon. Yeah. You know, the backstage, the whole backstage is an American flag. And uh, Willie is Willie. I mean, you yeah. can't. And you said his sister was supposed to be on the piano, his 91-year-old she wasn't sister. Su- I, I, we've always seen your sister. She's the one on the piano. She's three years older than him. Mm-hmm. And, but she wasn't playing. There was no piano on the, on the and stage. And his grandson was playing too? Or his, his son. son his son, son Micah. Playing. His youngest son. Lucas was not there, but Micah was there. And I just love Willie. And I think he's, uh, he's awesome. I mean, okay. everybody knows the songs, you know. And, sure. You know, it's very fun. And Anyway, talented men. And you had a nice drive? You ate some good food? The drive was fabulous. You know, I discovered one thing. I must say something. Eastern Oregon, my God, beautiful country, rolling hills, absolutely gorgeous countryside. We stayed in a place called Silver Falls, east of Salem. And um, I had never been there before. Oh, my God, beautiful discovery. That countryside is gorgeous. Down by Bend in that area in there? Uh, no, not quite so Bend? far. More like inland, a little bit okay. more. But between Salem and Ben, basically, but yeah. gorgeous. I mean, I was stunned. And then Grand Pass, and then Crescent City, and then Sea Ranch. What do you think of the roadside food in America? <sighs> you know, they need Did you veg- stop in any greasy diners? They need vegetables. It's a sad <laughs> thing that, you know, it's like, I'm not a, a vegetarian, but I can't eat a meal without vegetables. That, that, I mean, I can do it once like everybody else, but... I can't do this every day. I don't day. even think that's true. I don't even think you can do it once. Like I don't know if else. I can, but the point you know, is such that high standards. The point is that we need more vegetable on the road. I yes, mean, it's it's, a, it's the only. I'll make it my mission. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's the only thing. Emily's going to start a salad vending machine business. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? So make sure the make sure the machine is fresh. <laughs> All right, today we're going to talk about the peak of the season delicata squash. Uh, the origins of jack-o'-lanterns, and hopefully you're going to jump in on this, Pamela, is the origin. Yeah, 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 Because yeah. she made us, you know, she asked, actually asked us this morning, she had cut herself a jack-o'-lantern open here and wanted us to cook the, the squash meat and <laughs> roast both, the seeds. We and, both said no. And she just, 
I'm just saying that those really? are not the edible really kind of pumpkins. Yeah. Keeping these two in the uh, the ease of sheet pan dinners. I think this is a super interesting topic because uh, people don't think that they can take their cookie sheet out of the cabinet and make a dinner on it, and because it's just not typical. So uh, we're going to talk about that a bit. Uh, Tori Mann is going to visit tell us tell us about her new project. Even though she she refused to come back to Lola, she started another <laughs> job, and we're super sad about that. Tori was our chef here for years and f- a fabulous person. And of course, uh, we're going to re- wind up the show playing our. Rub with love, food for thought, tasty trivia. And is Tori going to stay for that? Do you know? Oh, yeah. I oh, you yeah. know she wins. Really... She's very competitive. Oh, you know, Tori you is guys. a fisherwoman extraordinaire. Absolutely. Yeah, Tori so. and, and uh, her husband started at Rovers. Every time I talk oh, to her. Oh, they did? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Every time I talk to her, I she's didn't... got her poor little kid. I hope her kid likes it, but. Oh, yeah, we're out in the rowboat outside of Kingston fishing for salmon with my 10-year-old. So, <laughs> well, she's oh not my. 10, but she started that when she was three. <laughs> oh, my God. My, my daughter would have just, like, jumped out, of the, and jumped out of the boat. Nobody jumps in the Puget Sound that easily. Okay, what's your taste of the week? I can tell you mine. You want mine first? My taste of the week, being on the road again in California, uh, Mexican food everywhere. I was extremely excited to... Uh, we touching that a lot, and um, probably my test of the week was the huevos rancheros. I went. I had the privilege to uh, be uh, offered the breakfast at San Isidro Ranch, which is in Montecito, which is Montecito is the rich area of Santa Barbara. Believe uh-huh. it or not, there's actually a richer area in Santa Barbara called Montecito. <laughs> really, I did not know that. Isn't that where and, Oprah lives? Yes, yes, that's where Oprah lives. And uh, there is a place called San Isidro Ranch, which is. Very expensive to stay there. It's a, it's my guess is probably one, not even a ranch. Number, it's not a ranch. <laughs> it's, it's, not a ranch. It's, it's more like, uh, you know, little little condos, little uh, uh, bungalows everywhere, but yeah. very fancy bungalows. Anyway, they do a breakfast, and you know some of those places are very expensive to go to. But what a great idea! You go there for breakfast, and it's just like everywhere else, except it's delicious, great surrounding. Huevos rancheros. The thing that was so interesting about those huevos rancheros was they made the tortilla. Crispy. They were like fried almost. Mm-hmm. So that was really nice because it was when you're going through your eggs and your beautiful salsa they made. It was very fresh and everything was beautiful and fresh, which to me I think is it makes a huge difference. And uh, but when you were going through with your fork, you know, it was a like crunchy with all the all the tortilla there. That was like almost chippy, almost like a chip. Mm-hmm. And uh, you were eating that. It was really really delicious, fabulous flavor. And the eggs weren't overcooked. The eggs were runny. I asked, you know. Yeah. Make sure it's not overcooked, yeah. but um, no, it was absolutely delicious. And, you know, it's something that I don't think about making at home, huevos rancheros. I don't know why it doesn't come to mind. I can't imagine either. But it's something that I should do more often. Yeah. Mine is beef barley soup. To me, it's a real sign of fall. And I used up the last of my uh, tempa, tempeh. Oh, yeah. The, the sprouted roasted barley yeah. from my ill-fated business adventure. That's <laughs> 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 only, only 75000 I lost this time, so... Uh, but uh, you're a rich tempeh, man. You can yeah, do it. <laughs> it, was, it was super delicious, but it really tastes like fall to me. Right. And I'm even going to give Pamela. Uh, this is like right up her alley. The beef is cooked till it's fall apart. Yeah, it's got lots of toasted barley in it. She loves barley, and so I'm going to gift her this for Christmas. One quarter pint of. My- <laughs> by the way, it's one already, quarter. By pint. the way, it's already made. It's in the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the freezer right now, but it's. I'm, she's only getting one quarter pint. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. This is really, uh, with this weather we've been having in the last few days, and this is really the time for, like, the oxtail, the soups, and everything. I mean, right. this is big time of make a big batch of it and 
put that in the fridge and have it, you know, for the lunch and dinner for All the right, next few days. All right, let's let's wrap this up and let's move on to uh, peak of the season delicata squash. The last of ours just came over from the farm, and we've been eating them like crazy on Cairo. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, ninety-seven three FM. Uh, and we're back. It's the Hot Stove Society Show. We have to keep our process going. Here's Terry. Uh, Jackie uh, sent over the last 100 totes of produce from the farm. That included uh, 30 totes of butternut squash that were wow. have roasted and it's ready to go for our pumpkin pies. So we have squash and butternut mix for our pumpkin pies out of the bakery this year. And then she also sent over delicata squash. Right. Now, Pamela loves delicata. Pamela is our local vegetarian expert. Uh, but you're not a vegetarian, but you love veggies. Um, I don't love delicata squash. I mean, I like Why the not? Fl- I don't. Everyone serves it with the peel on, and it's just not my favorite thing. Uh, I peel it off. You peel it uh, off. But I cook it with the peel, but I take the oh. peel off before serving. Now, we I'm never not- do in our restaurants. I mean, you lose most of the squash if you take the peel off because it's rib. No, no, no. You and if take you take the, the peel-, peel all the way down into the rib, you're oh. going to lose a lot of squash. Take the peel after it's cooked, not before it's cooked. Okay. After it's cooked. Okay. You cook it with the peel. But you don't. You you can't eat that pill. That pill yes, is you not, can. I, well, do I, mean, it, I do it all the time. My wife makes me. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, you can. It's just. Pamela, that, do you eat the peel? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. That that's what I love. The contrast between the soft center and then you get the bite at the end. Crunchy peel. All right. So there you go. Okay. So uh, what do you do with delicata squash? Let's let's dive deep. I like caramelizing them because I think it's a one nice way to do it and do a sweet and sour. Kind of finishing like vinaigrette, mm-hmm. hot vinaigrette, and put that over it. So you get you get the caramelized um, sliced delicata squash okay. straight across. So, but are you you're slicing it in half lengthwise and taking the seeds out? Is that Correct. right? And then I'm and slicing, slicing them in a half moon. How, how wide? Uh, quarter half, inch. A, a quarter to a half. Okay. And then I toss a little bit of olive oil, salt, mm-hmm. pepper, and then put them on a on a seal pad or parchment paper. Put them in the oven and bake it. With just a, and at about halfway through, which is about 10, 15 minutes into it, I just put a little bit of brown sugar on top mm-hmm. and then let it cook, let it finish to cook like this and it caramelized the whole thing right on top. Now, from that, I make, you know, there's always a little rendering underneath, like caramel and, and juice a little bit. Mm-hmm. I take that and I scrape it from the, from the seal pad, mix it with a little bit of Dijon mustard, a little bit of vinegar. Uh, vinegar. Yeah. And then I mix, toss the whole thing together. And I use that as my um, wet, you know, kind of sauce right on top of it. Now, that delicata squash can go into toasted pecan or walnut. And that we into a salad like endive and watercress, mm-hmm. which is, you know, what's coming in season now for the winter. With that dressing and put that together. And, and I love that kind of contrast of the sweet and sour and the sweet and the, the crunchy and bitter mm-hmm. from the watercress. To me, that makes a good salad. So are you asking your customer then or your, your dinner mates to peel it then at the table? No, no, no. We peel it before we put it into the salad. You never mentioned that part. I'm sorry. When it comes out of the oven, jeez. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for reminding well, me. Well, it was just like the most important thing. We started the whole conversation. Well, but no, but I mean, yeah. it's not the most important thing. Apparently, you can eat both. Yes. Either way, or so it doesn't really oh, matter. Oh, I thought for a second, unlike you, I thought you were going to make your customer or your, your table mates peel their own squash, and it seemed very Ontario-like. Un- it's Ontario-like. I do the work, you, do, you just eat. Okay. That's my philosophy. You just okay. eat. You're not you here eat. to work. All right. So I, I peel it for them before okay. I put it into the salad. Yeah. Okay. 
But I think it's a good, I, I, I think the licorice squash is a great vegetable. It grills really well. I mean, if you just do a little bit of olive oil and put it on the side of the grill, just a tiny bit of olive oil, not a lot, and then salt and pepper and then grill it, or even on a plancha, it caramelizes instantly and does a very nice texture and, and flavor, you know, to the, to the dish. So, and you can use that as a side garnish to many different things. Also makes a great soup, obviously. It's not a, it's not a, it's a no-brainer, but you sweat some onion, sliced onion, sweat them in a lot of butter, Add all the delicacy. Well, this is what you would do with any squash, right? You could do Correct. the same thing with butternut but, or acorn or yeah, yeah. delicata. But if you're going to peel it, I mean, yeah. if you're not going to peel it, you can, there's, like, we put it on pizza. We have a, yeah. a delicata pizza at uh, Serious Pie. Right. So, but that's skin on, but we also slice it super thin. You're down to an uh, eighth of an inch. Right. And then the peel becomes a little bit more like candy when, it, uh, when it's roasted, right? right? So You can also take the half delicata once you cut it in half, take the seeds out. And then uh, fill it with maybe, uh, you could do a filling of like pork, ground pork and lamb, lamb yeah. whatever you could, you could do with some, with some onions and everything. Put that in there and then put that in the oven and maybe at the beginning cover it up a little bit with parchment paper so it doesn't brown too fast. And then about halfway through, pull the parchment paper out and let it finish to nice and caramelize on top. So do your thing. So on something like that, though, when you're stuffing it, uh, the delicata with the ground meat, you have to come up with a binder of some sort, or else it comes out just granular. Like when I do it, I use dried apricots as my binder, so yeah. I puree dried apricots and I stir that into the meat and right. the, on- the onions and garlic and the herbs. And the dried apricots actually act as like a sausage binder right. for that stuffing. Or you could use a sausage. You could take a sausage and open it up and then take the meat from the sausage that's already binded, mm-hmm. put that into your delicata squash, and then bake it that way. You could even put a little cheese on top if you are into that. And then... Sounds, again, you're, you've, you're a new man since you went to see t- Mr. <laughs> Willie Nelson. You've been uh, reborn. I, I got a little report from Texas. Yeah. <laughs> been reborn. With cheese on top. No, but I think it's, um, delicata squash is a delicious vegetable. I mean, it's, it's one of those squash that I think is outstanding. If you ask me about lantern squash, which we will talk later uh, not so much. When I was a child, that's uh, the kind of squash that we would have. What is lantern squash? Well, what do you like, call that? Oh, the jack-o'-lantern? Yeah, jack-o'-lantern, oh. like the big pumpkins. Yeah. To me, they're not the best pumpkin. They're just the biggest pumpkin. Right. And uh, they're great for jack-o'-lantern, but they're... They're not great they, for pie. They're not good for pie. They're, yeah. they, you know, when I was a child, my mom, we didn't make jack-o'-lantern because we didn't have Halloween, but we definitely ha- uh, used the pumpkin to make soup. Did but, you report your parents to Child Protective Services for not having <laughs> Halloween? Well, we don't have Halloween in France. Now oh, we do. the whole country doesn't Now they that. do. Now they do. Because they picked up the American style. But um, when I was a child, we didn't have Halloween. That is so we sad. We had Saints Day, which is November 1st. Ah, so same idea. Same, well, same idea, except we didn't celebrate it the same way that we do in the you States. You didn't throw eggs at people's houses? No eggs, oh. no, no cookies, no candies. Candy corn? No, there's none of this stuff, man. And corn, no, absolutely not. You didn't TP your grandmother's house? No, we did that, we did that on May 1st. That's <laughs> when we do those days. May 1st is when we used to go and go around from place to place, displace flower pots and displace uh-huh. bicycles or whatever you found in the town. And you didn't steal them, you just displaced them. We just displaced them. Oh, no, we didn't steal them. We just displaced them. That was the game. The game was you'd be a bunch of rascals together at night on May 1st, uh-huh. and everybody knew that. So people usually put everything inside because they knew <laughs> sh- stuff would disappear. <laughs> but, you know, you'd go to the farm and you'd just bring the whole cart of, you know, 
Carl Manuel. Yeah. <laughs> and you bring that in front of really? the, in front of the church. In <laughs> front of the church. People's houses? No, no, in front of in both of the village is like, you know, a uh, half a mile away. But when you're young you don't care about that stuff. You're strong, right? <laughs> to do stuff like that, you're very strong. Wow, that's very interesting. We'd move like a whole thing of it and put it in front of the church or in front of City Hall, the small uh-huh. city hall of the town. And there was no closed circuit TV at your at that age. No, yeah. and there was no cops either. Well there was maybe one cop, you know. So that was easier. I just I'm trying to picture a young Terry Rotaro with a cart full of manure a half a mile going down the street. No, I wasn't the only one. There was like <laughs> ten of us. We well, how, did, how did two people how, how did ten of you hold a cart? You well, took it, turns? it was it was a, a flatbed that goes behind a horse. So there's two handles that goes on each now side. Now you're saying of the horse. you grew up with a horse and buggy? Oh Jesus! You're older than I thought. Are I'm, you Amish? I'm older, I'm older than Are you Amish? Than, I'm older than pumpkins. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, well, there you go. We, we uh, went away from our delicata all the way to a bucket of manure on May 1st. That is a, that is a long stretch. Um, when we come back, our producer, Pamela, is going to uh, t- tell us about jack-o'-lanterns and their history. And then um, we're going to find out why she desperately wants to eat her carvings today because it's gross. On Cairo, it's the Hot Stove Society show, 97.3 FM. It's time for Jack-O-Lanterns here on the Hot Stove Society Show. I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotturo, the chef in the hat. And Pamela, our producer, has decided that, that today was the day to get her Jack-O-Lanterns started. I know you are a big fan of Halloween and the more traditional kind of decor, not, you know, the gourds and the sugar by pumpkins. But you do love a Jack-O-Lantern. Matter of fact, I love for years, a you used to host all the kids in our, in our, in our family group to uh, cut pumpkins but this year i didn't get an invite <laughs> rory's not old enough yet Who? I- <laughs> we're on company property it's hercules on this on company property <laughs> they all grew up darn it so tell us about your love of jack-o'-lanterns and where they came from well when the days start to shorten and we're enshrouded in so much darkness. I love the candlelight of a jack-o'-lantern. I love seeing them on people's porches, flickering candles, and uh, that warm glow just makes me so happy. But this year, and I probably should have titled the segment Pumpkins, because what I'm worried about is all of the food waste and energy that goes into growing them. We live close to Ballard Market. They do a spectacular display of their pumpkins, both the decorative ones and the ones for jack-o'-lanterns. And uh, I just think, like, how is all of that going to get composted? So well, I, would, I, I started worrying about... I think it makes great compost, number one, and I think it's easy to compost a pumpkin. Yeah, you know, I just goes, throw them over the bank in my front yard. I mean, it, it, literally, sure. it literally goes to puree by itself. I yeah. mean, it does decompose by itself. And it, I mean, yeah, I think it's a good, you know, it's an easy one. Now, how, how much of it is necessary for your garden? I'm not sure, but, you know. I you, think you just take them to Wood, uh, Woodland Park Zoo and have the hippos eat them. And then they yeah. have uh, pumpkin zoo do. Yeah. And then, and then take all the seeds and roast them. Ugh. They're and so then terrible. sell them to uh, somebody. They're not like pepitas, like you buy pumpkin seeds right, in the right, store. Right. Right? Those are well, very how edible. are those so different? They're just well, they're a giant. Different, uh, different type a of pumpkin. A different variety. Yeah. yeah. Different variety they're not so oily. They're, not, they're, they're drier. They're bigger. They're harder. They're it's, smaller. They're, they're and much smaller. Much smaller. No, the pepitas ones. are smaller, but yeah. I'm saying those seeds, the, the jack-o'-lantern seeds, they're bigger and they're drier and 
They're just not as pleasant to eat. You know, the, the people who grow the giant pumpkins, you see them around our restaurants right now. They're all a couple hundred pounds. They are so intense. Like when they get their biggest pumpkin is what they save those seeds and they try to do it again the next year. Oh, yeah, yeah, keep yeah. Keep kind of hibernating. So the practice of decorating jack-o'-lanterns originated in Ireland where large turnips and potatoes were served as early canvases. Uh, in fact, the name Jack-O-Lantern comes from an Irish folktale about a man named Stingy Jack. Irish immigrants brought the tradition to America, home of the pumpkin, and it became an integral part of Halloween festivities. Wow. So, uh, <laughs> who do I give credit for for that information? Uh, I'll just say Pam. Uh, <laughs> is this a, 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 a ditty? This, this no. next part on here, or are these just Jack facts? Jack facts. Jack facts. Please so share. Jack, it seems, was a bad man. He kept all of his money to himself, and he wouldn't help people for all of his life. When Jack died, he wasn't allowed into heaven because he was such a miser, a person who wouldn't share his money. And it seems that Jack also had played tricks on the devil, who wouldn't let him into hell either. Who knew that he was stuck in limbo. Well, huh. Jack was stuck. He had to walk... The Earth holding a lantern until Judgment Day. Oh. This story has been handed down to us by the Irish people who came to America in the 1800s. They carved their turnips into the face of a jack-o'-lantern to remind themselves of what happened to people who were cheap, cheapskates, skinflints, <laughs> misers, people, people who don't tip, people who don't tip, <laughs> and people who don't support the food bank. Come on! And in the fall, pumpkins are much easier to find than turnips. Well, that I would I would argue, but. I don't know that. I, 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 no, no, I agree. I agree with that because the turnips comes a little bit later. Turnips will be in about a month from now, the good winter turnips. Well, the little turnips that we have are coming out in the spring. So. Correct. There is spring. I wanted to summer. carve a turnip. <laughs> there, is, there is spring and summer turnips, and there is winter, but there is not really fall turnips because you plant them in the summertime, and then it grows and it comes out well, in the winter. I just wonder, do you have to hollow out the turnip? Because they they're not hollow when you start. Do you have to hollow You have to hollow? Yeah. yeah. You have to, you call, have to put the candle in. There's a lot of carving to do. Well, like the pumpkins. Can you educate me on edible pumpkins? Because sure, today, uh, the New York Times today had a recipe for uh, a pumpkin bar cookie with pecans. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they said, you know, buy a can of pumpkin. But I don't want to do that. What am, what am I buying for the... Well, of all the canned foods out there, pumpkin is probably the most pure, but it's also probably butternut squash. It's probably yeah. not even pumpkin, but uh, squash is, uh, is a large term that can cover many different types of these things in front of us. So um, that, that is one little thing there. But uh, if you look at most pumpkin, it's just, it says one, one or two ingredients, pumpkins, or pumpkin and salt. Yeah. And that's, uh, for canned food, that's pretty good. Uh, secondly, I would say start with the sugar pie pumpkin. So just because they're small doesn't make them delicious, like those little ornamental pumpkins. Yeah, they're no, they're not the, like the those little hand. ones. Uh, they're not necessarily the best one. Those are sugar pies. Those little ones on our stage here are sugar oh, pies. Are actually good. Yeah. So good. those are the kind that you want. And um, they're about a the pound, idea pound is, and a half. Yeah, you you just. Cut them open. You can make jack-o'-lanterns out of those, too, the little tiny ones. But you cut them open. You, you can peel them. You can, I roast them in the halves, and then I scoop them with a big spoon, scoop the, the pumpkin meat out. And for me, I put that meat into a strainer and let it drain. Uh, yeah, it's but, so much moisture in the yeah, meat. Yeah, there's a lot of water in pumpkins. That's how they get them so darn large, the biggest ones. They just they, they put them as a small youngster on a pallet in right. their garden, and then they just water the heck out of it. Yeah. yeah. It's all water. But, yes, I, I would agree 100%. You roast the pumpkin, 
and then you, the, the puree becomes your pie base, you know, your pie, pie filling base. And again, like Tom said, it's very important if you can and if you have the time, you will have trouble if you don't let it Drain. drip. Yeah. You know, you need to let the moisture come out and overnight in the fridge on a cheesecloth or on a coffee filter or something of that nature, that will do the trick. And pumpkins are good to get right now, especially local pumpkins, because if they freeze in the field, they'll start to rot. And so you get your pumpkin, process it, do that draining, and then put it into a container and put it in the freezer. Yeah, you can until freeze Until you're it. ready for Thanksgiving. It freezes really well. Yeah. I mean, pumpkin puree freeze beautifully. Pumpkin meat. You know, it's, once it's roasted, it's a great, great item in the freezer. It's also a great item to pop up, you know, if you have a pint of it. Just take it out and mix it with a little chicken stock, and you get an instant soup. You know, you can take I sweat, love sweat some soup, leeks, especially when it's real chickeny. Sweat some real. leeks, little chicken stock, you know, and uh, and the puree, and then saute some chanterelle on the side because chanterelles are in mm. season right now and they're getting cheaper. So it's time to buy them, you know, and just saute some chanterelle and put that on top of your, you know, sauteed chanterelle in brown butter, and then put that right on top of your. Chanterelles, if you see this little rain stream that we've had for the last two days, yeah, well, chanterelles have doubled in price because they're sold by the weight, and, man, they're like little sponges for water. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> so when you, you know, go down, you're going to pay double. They're saying it's going to be nice this weekend. I'm like, yeah, good for the mushroom. But, you know, by next week, maybe they will be dry if we don't have another rain yeah. storm. But We had mushroom pasta last night. It was so tasty. I had chanterelles, just sautéed them down with some domestic mushrooms. And then yeah. I used my... Um, or Jackie used my gravy helper. Do you know what my gravy helper is? Butter. No, no it's our Rub with Love exotic mushroom. Oh, oh yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's got a lot of porcini powder in it, and it's very, very mushroomy. Right, right. And sometimes chanterelles are not as mushroomy as, as you hope they're going to be. Right, right. And so I use that uh, chanterelle powder, and it's the same I do with my onion gravy when I'm making turkey dinner. It's like it's just a little sneaky little thing that you put in there, and you just don't know where that umami is coming from. Mushrooms are often considered an umami flavor. Right. And so that's what I did. I just into the cream sauce that the mushrooms were in. I just sprinkled a little mushroom powder. And it's, it's funny because like I have magic fairy dust. I have some dry shiitake in my uh, cupboard, and I looked at it yesterday, and I almost used it for pumpkin soup that we made, uh-huh. uh, a squash soup that we made. And uh, I said, Nah, you know what? I'm going to wait a little bit longer because it's going to keep raining for a few yeah, weeks. Yeah, they so. don't get any better. <laughs> the dry shiitake don't get better. No, they don't get better. But yeah. they, I'm going to wait to use them in a. In another week or two, see see what I can do I with that. I think you made a strategic error. I used some fresh mushroom instead, which was totally delicious. Okay, fine. Did you put <laughs> the pumpkin seeds in the oven? I did. They were surrounded with uh, Pamela is the designer of our veggie rub, which has got lots of fennel and garlic and onion, and they are encased, enrobed in veggie rub in the oven. That'll make them so did. delicious. They're at 300 degrees, and they've been in for about 40 minutes so far. So and you so, say uh, low and slow? Yeah, there are 300 in the convection oven. And uh, I'm going to take a look at them in another 30 minutes and see if I want to put some olive oil on them. Mm. So if, I had, good. if I had pumpkin oil, I'd put that give, the, give them the fat that they need because they don't have much of it. I know. I just wanted the crispin up and not just yep. be. I believe on this big kind of pumpkin seed that you might be able to, once they're cooked properly or I could deep fry them, you might be able to crack them open and get the little seed out of the big Ooh. seed. All right, the pumpkin craze continues. Uh, use a good pan, oil up your ingredients, and give dense veggies a head start. We're going to talk about that when we come back. Sheep pan dinners. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. You 
music. It's the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. My name's Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. And chef, do you ever create a whole dinner on a cookie sheet? Because uh, I think that it's a super fun way to cook, and I feel like not many people do it. I do uh, a whole dinner, I don't know, but a, a dinner, uh, an entree plate, yes. Mm-hmm. Like what? Like, for example, if you're doing roasted broccoli and you're doing um, chicken breast or chicken legs, one of the two, mostly chicken breast on this case, and, um, you know, some potatoes that you've already blanched. So you can put all those three items on a sheet pan, not at the same time, which is, I think, the secret of good baking or good cooking on a, on a sheet pan is to try to, have, to keep the sense of the thickness and the time it takes to cook for each of the ingredients. So See, I'm just going to jump right in and disagree with you real quick. <laughs> you, you know what? You're allowed. This is yeah, America. I know. That's why this show. <laughs> that's why this show exists. That's why the show is good. Yeah. So the reason I'm saying that is because I think that it takes longer for the chicken breast, for example, to cook than it does for the broccoli to be roasted the way I like them. Well, okay. So I'm and glad you temp- added that caveat. The way and, you like them. Yes. The the, the temperature of what I'm looking for, for example, for the roasted broccoli is probably as close to possible as 500 degrees or 450 mm-hmm. degrees. I'm not going to roast my chicken breast at 450 degrees. But why not? Because I think it's going to dehydrate it faster than I want to. I don't want it to cook quite that fast. It'll cook faster than your broccoli will cook, in my opinion. Well, that too. In a funny way. That too. Yeah, that's why if you're using thigh meat, it would be a little bit different. But Correct. To me, I take just a big metal bowl. I put all my ingredients, my, not parblanched potatoes, but I cut them to the size that they're going to cook in the same amount of time as, mm-hmm. as my feeling is for the rest of the food. I love my broccoli roasted in the oven, but I like it past cooked and then re, uh, dehydrated to crisp. Right. Because it's going to be done in three minutes. Correct. But it could also be done in 30 minutes. Right. You know, so because it's, you're, you're taking it to a spot and then you let it go till it kind of, you know, gets to mush and then it kind of firms back up again. Those potatoes, if I cut them... You know, in a half-inch wedge or something like that, they'll cook in the same amount of time. So the chicken, especially the thigh, will cook in the same amount of time. Correct. So I just put all those ingredients in the sizes that I need rather right. than uh, thinking that I'm going to put a whole thigh in with a piece of broccoli. Uh, and then I toss it all together, salt, pepper, maybe one of my spice rubs. And I go on to a cookie sheet. And typically I will, if I have a nice thick cookie sheet, I'll go right onto the sheet. Right. If it's one of those thin ones like we have in the restaurant sometimes, uh, you're going to burn and you're going to burn the sheet and right. you're spend right. 10, 15 minutes scrubbing it. And then I would go on a silk pad. Right. But I want to make sure, um, typically, if I want to make any sort of jus right. off of that sheet Could pan, delays, yeah. yeah, then I want to, to go right onto the pan instead of the silk pad. But, so I, I believe that it's like a one-pot meal. Correct. But it's exactly the what same What I like about it is it spreads out. Right. Right? You can spread it all over your cookie sheet, and everything gets brown. It's everything a, it, cooks. To me, it's the same principle as a one-pot meal, except instead of being stewed, it's roasted. roasted. Yeah. And that's a different flavor. And right? I would take those at 450, honestly, and I would, and I have a convection oven. I would even leave it at convection, right. which is really 475 in a home oven. Right. But you're only going to go for 20 minutes. Right. And so some people freak out about the temperature, but if, if you're going to leave it in for an hour, you're going to have charcoal bits. Correct. But if you watch it and you put it in for 20 minutes and your stuff is cooked, your uh, ingredients are prepped to the right size, it's going to be done. You're right. going to walk away and it's going to be done. Correct. And you're going to get some multitudes of crispness uh, that maybe that you want. So. And it's also a good, I mean, I think cooking on a sheet pan mm-hmm. is a clean way to do it because you don't have to put as much fat. You don't have to put as much, uh, you know, like if you're sauteing, you need more fat. If you're 
if you're doing certain type of cooking, you need more fat. Besides steaming, I think roasting is a very clean way to do mm -hmm. it because the fat falls down and then you have all these beautiful product that's roasted. You have extra flavor, extra uh, texture added to your ingredients and you don't have the, the heaviness or fat. So. Well, that's a, that's a choice too because the more fat you put in, the more you douse it with olive oil or chicken schmaltz or whatever it is that is your fat for that, a Little maybe a combination of... A little duck fat, a little olive oil, a little butter. Mm -hmm. um, whatever your fat is, the more fat you have, actually, the more crispy it's going to become in your roasted oven. Right, but it doesn't oven. stay on. It falls on the it sheet It falls onto pan. the sheet pan, but Correct. your vegetables are on it in the sheet pan, and it Correct. helps crispen up your vegetables. And if you let it sit for even three or five minutes after, three, five is probably too long because being on a sheet pan, it comes out and cools off quickly. Right. But if you let it sit for two or three minutes afterwards, some of those veggies, like the potatoes in particular, are going to re-soak yep. re up some of that fat. Correct. And they're going to be so crispy and delicious that you're just going to want to dive in and eat all the potatoes before they get to the table. Oh, you could take that fat and mix it with a little bit of uh, Dijon mustard and make a quick dressing, hot dressing, yeah. to throw right on back on top of your vegetable. Or throw them all back into a different bowl and stir them up yeah. with your the fat and the yeah. mustard and the vinegar and... Then you have just a, basically a roasted dinner vinaigrette. Great. Which uh, we would think, you know, vegetables are leeks vinaigrette. Or yeah. We do it all the time. We just don't think about it off of a sheet pan. Right. Which is, a, it's actually a very simple way to cook. It's mm -hmm. not that complicated. And it's, I mean, you come home, you know, many people don't have time to go make five different kind of pots and pans and, you know, do a whole complete dinner often during the week or whatever. They don't have the time. So... Sheet pan cooking is definitely a good, good concept and a good idea. It's just like a, it's just like the pot cooking, except you're roasting. Yeah, you know, and, and again, it's a great way to do it to save time and to be, you know, all on one place. You don't have to I saw the it. prettiest idea yesterday uh, in the New York Times with using ramen noodles, mm -hmm. bok choy, and a glazed tofu. And the thing that caught my attention was. During the roasting process, the ramen noodles had a whole variety of crispiness. Some of them stayed soft on the bottom, but then you got the nice crunchy tops. And I said, and it looked beautiful with the halved uh, bok choy. Right. And you need to use a firm tofu. Sounds very textural. Sounds yeah. really nice because the real, real tofu, pretty. the bok choy, and the, and the crispy noodles, that sounds what did you do with the rest of the mix when you took your ramen noodles <laughs> out of your cup of noodles? I haven't made it yet. Okay. Out of the ramen noodles. I'm I love looking it. forward to it. Because, you know, they're like, like, they're like chow mein noodles if you do something like that, where they get toasty and crunchy and, and on certain sides of it. But uh, was there a broth or anything on your sheet pan? Or was it what, what made it soft? What made the ramen soft? Uh, you uh, had to cook them first with their flavoring packet. Oh, I see. So I wasn't oh, that wow. far off then, was I? <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. You were right. Yeah. I can't believe you were. Well, when was the last time you saw ramen noodles for sale in a grocery store? Never. You can see them like in a, a steam noodle bag right, right. from Chu Chong Noodle Company out of, uh, out of the, our own international district. But right. you don't really see them fried very often separate. No. no, no, you're right. And those are typically dried and fried. <laughs> very funny. Nice way to use a ramen noodle. I like it. <laughs> Get out your sheet pans. Oh, get your sheet pan out. What yes. else do you use a sheet pan for? Eggs. My wife uses it for jelly rolls. She loves to make like a cream jelly or a yeah, jelly yeah. roll, like a with a what do you call that? Genoise, like the little thin layer of genoise. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's uh, really delicious. And she just, this is uh, actually the time of the year to do that. 
she just puts it on uh, on like a parchment paper, right? And then you pull it out and you peel the parchment off. Sure. But you pull it out, you turn it out onto a dish towel, and then uh, you peel the parchment off. And then I was, you got this thing sitting there. Right. You layer the cream on, and then you just use the dish towel to roll your chiffon, oh, cool. and then let it, and just keep it rolled up until it stays, stays like a good dog. <laughs> it's like stay there, and then you slice. Roll. And then you slice across yeah, the roll. Cool. Yeah, you get little pinwheels. That's very nice. Good time of the year to do this. You betcha. All right, we've got another full hour here on the Hot Stove Show. Stay with us. I uh, hope you're in your kitchen or your garden. Uh, I hope you're dodging the, the weather we've been having. Although, I hear it's supposed to be nice. It's supposed weekend, to be. So. Uh, coming up next, uh, the National Seafood Month concludes with Craig Morris. He's the CEO of Genuine Alaska Pollock Producers. And we are also going to have Food for Thought Tasty Trivia. Uh, we're going to do some uh, uh, cooking with Tori Mann, the former chef here at Lola Restaurant. It's going to be a big, big hour. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. All right, we are back in the kitchen on the Hot Stove Society Show. Chef Terry in the Chapeau. Welcome back from your sojourns into uh, into the wilds of California. So beautiful. So it's beautiful. such a pleasure to be back on the road again. We went to see Willie down in Santa Barbara. Uh, we are here at the Hotel Andra, beautiful new Hotel Andra. The remodel is almost done. I'd say we're, what, two weeks away, do you think? We had a little setback. We had a little leak on floor four. There's a little setback in some of the areas. But, uh, but Lola is open. This Lola is like is the open. greatest news ever. Yep. Fourth and Virginia, right downtown. People were in there for breakfast this morning. It was so fun to just walk up. And usually we were walking through kind of the dark, dusty corridor of Lola. It's been <laughs> down for 19 months, but now we're back. All right, let's jump right into our show. We've got uh, Food for Thought Tasty Trivia at the end of this hour. Uh, we've got uh, all sorts of things, but we're going to jump into the man who insulted me the most <laughs> in the last, oh. in the last uh, oh. five years, maybe. It was... <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've got Craig Morris here. He's here at the Wind Up National Seafood Month. He is the genuine Alaska Pollock producers representative. Uh, tell us about possum Pollock facts. Tell us why you love Lowry seasoning and not rub with love spice rub, and uh, all that sort of thing. And the low carbon footprint of Pollock. I didn't under. I didn't realize that. You bet. And put that microphone right up next to his face, would you? You bet. Um, it's it's uh, we look at Wallaska Pollock as the perfect protein. Uh, you referenced the carbon footprint study this year. Our industry invested in what we call a, a life cycle assessment that looks at the entire um, uh, input, basically of every everything from diesel usage to refrigerants to our packaging, everything it takes to bring Wallaska Pollock to a consumer's plate, and found that our carbon footprint is a fraction of that of any other protein. Nobody it, would it, think that. For yeah. surimi, it's about 5 kilograms of CO2 per kilogram of protein. Tofu is about 10. Beef is 115. Uh-huh. So it's truly a, an amazing protein in terms of its, its impact on the environment. We like to say that Wallace Pollock, because of its good nutrition, it's not only good for you, it's good for the planet. Uh, and that's one of the things that we're going to lean on uh, really heavily with our marketing campaigns. And, and some of the packages that I brought you today uh, kind of show what we're trying to do to, to bring consumers that fact. So you were saying earlier that uh, you're starting to educate maybe uh, the, what you said millennials, but that's really several generations of people that they don't really understand Pollock. You know, Pollock came out when I was that age, right? And so it was something as a chef that we kind of like shied away from because it felt like fake seafood. But what the reality is, it's real seafood. It's all fish. 
That's right. It was about three years ago we did the very first nationwide consumer survey to better understand what U- U.S. consumers knew about Wallace and Only about half of Americans uh, actually could identify Wallace Pollock as a fish. We've worked really hard at Gap uh, through partnerships to bring Wallace Pollock to front of pack, both at retail and in restaurants, and to talk about the attributes of the fish. And, and what we've been able to do is get about 10 million more Americans. Uh, so now we're up to about 55% of Americans uh, not only know about Wallace Pollock, but know about its attributes and have a positive association with it. So that's that's for us uh, a win. And we're going to mm-hmm. keep working on that effort to make sure that Americans understand that Alaska Pollock is, is from the United States. Uh, every pound of a, of a product called Alaska Pollock is from Alaska. It's very nutritious. It's sustainable. Uh, it's mild tasting, which makes it very versatile to cook mm-hmm. with. Uh, I think it's got a lot of things going for it. And the fact that it's wild caught uh, one of the research things that we did this year is ask consumers about the perceptions of, of different marketing claims out there. And wild caught, actually, two to one over organic uh, was preferred. So wild caught is, is certainly for seafood, uh, something that we also lean in on very heavily. Interesting. So you brought us a couple of items today. Terry's over there cooking them up. Uh, what, uh, this is like a wild Pollock imitation crab, right? Yes. That, that, that might be, I hope you're going to change that, because that might be where some of the misinformation comes from. When you say imitation crab, it's... It's, it suggests something different, right? You're absolutely, it's not. It's 100% fish. You're absolutely right. Uh, this year we did a, another di- a different nationwide survey of consumers to understand who's buying imitation crab. Uh-huh. Overwhelmingly, it's, it's uh, an older generation. Uh, it over-indexes in, in certain ethnicities, uh, Hispanic, Asians. And it's not popular, imitation crab, uh, with that millennial, uh, that affluent set. And, and what we found when we sat down with focus groups with them and, and, and told them that imitation crab, it's a real seafood. Right. It's wild Alaska pollock. It's got a great sustainability story. It's nutritious. It's mild. The more they liked it, and then the more recipe ideas we gave them, the more likely they were to put it in their cart and take it home. Yeah. And so I love buying the seafood salad you see in a lot of the deli cases. I love buying that. But I would just call it pollock crab. You know, honestly, that would be, to me, a more truthful. It's not imitation anything. I mean, it's made, it's made to look like crab, but it's not. It's real fish. Yeah. See, the labeling requirements from FDA are, are somewhat antiquated, to be honest. Um, imitation crab is a construct that, that we were put into at, by FDA long before we saw a lot of these uh, plant-based proteins come out. Mm-hmm. And I think we all know that plant-based proteins are, are calling themselves plant-based seafood when there's no seafood in them at all. <laughs> exactly. Imitation crab is unequivocally, it is real seafood. And we've, we've got to do a good job. And, I, and on the packages I brought, you'll see one that markets itself very affirmatively is, is surimi seafood. And that's one of the things that we're going to do a lot of, uh, of marketing around is, is helping, underst- helping consumers understand that Surimi seafood is real seafood from a real fish called wild Escapolic. Right. It has an amazing story to tell. Yeah, you see it all the time in sushi bars and places like that. A lot of California rolls are, you know, the crab that's in California rolls is really Pollock crab. Right. I've, d- I've done, a, last year I did a, a big promotion with Pollock fresh filet. I mean, it's a beautiful fish. It's easy to cook, easy to bake. We were talking about sheet pan cooking earlier. Mm-hmm. You put a couple of fillet of Pollock on, the, on top, of, you know, a little bit of rub with love on top of that, put it in the oven. 15 minutes later, you get the most beautiful fish on your table. You know, you steam some broccoli and cook some rice on the side. No, you're right. About half of our production goes into the fillets that, you know, Chef Terry, you enjoyed at your restaurants. About half of our production goes into the Surimi Seafood. And as you pointed out, Surimi Seafood does great in food service. Everybody enjoys a California roll. We really want to make sure that consumers understand that that wonderful product that they're enjoying in their California roll is this thing called Surimi Seafood. It's in every grocery store. We want to give them ideas on how they can bring it home and make a variety of different preparations with right. it. Right, and it's 100% fish. 100%. That's what I, that's what I like about it. So, uh, 
So, Terry, what are you doing over there to this man's... I'm opening uh, a, a can of uh, spicy Tokyo rub. Uh-huh. And I'm going to drop it into a lemon-lime butter and some cilantro. Uh-huh. And but the thing I would suggest is... How do you uh, open this thing? Oh, my God. Wow. You've only been retired for like a couple of I months. I don't have any more strength on this. Oh, that was, that was super tough. Um, uh, so make sure that when you're cooking surimi like this, so the, the uh, pollock crab or whatever... That you don't overcook it because it'll turn like rubber really quick, quickly and the moisture comes out and makes it stringy. So It does not need cooking. It just needs it's warming. warming. Exactly. Yeah. And exactly. that's why I'm making it's the It's 100% butter. cooked already. I'm, okay. I'm making a dipping butter on the side. And at the last minute, I'll drop in the, the uh, imitation crab in it. But um, to go back to what Craig was saying earlier, you know, Pollock is actually, um, I've, I've studied quite a bit and talked to a lot of fishermen. And it's a very sustain. it's the most sustainable fishery and we have it there mm-hmm. in terms of volume and everything. It's pretty incredible how clean they Huge are. Huge biomass, yeah. And, and, and the use of the product is 100%. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, hey, don't burn my spice rub, dude. We are the largest certified sustainable fishery on Earth. Uh, the Marine Stewardship Council, that, that blue mark that you look for, or the Responsible Fisheries Management Program logo that you look for on wild-caught seafood that shows that seafood is, in fact, sustainable. Uh, we're going to win from the Marine Stewardship Council this year their Ocean's Champion Award. Uh, that's their highest honor uh, for, for a wild-caught fishery that best epitomizes uh, proper fishery management to ensure that biomass, as you had said, is available for generations to come. Right. Craig Morris has been our guest. He's the CEO of Genuine Alaska Pollock Producers, and he's wrapping up our dedication to National Seafood Month right here on the Hot Stove Society radio show. When we come back, we're going to talk about a few more delicious ways to use Pollock on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society show. This is a kitchen for 97.3 FM. We're in the kitchen here at the Hot Stove at the beautiful Hotel Andre, downtown Seattle, 4th and Virginia, above the newly opened Lola Restaurant. Yay! You know, we keep uh, inching closer to our pre-COVID opens, um, and as we find teams, we are, we'll get the rest open that we, can, that we can do. My name is Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. Chef in the chapeau. And chef, uh, you took your road trip to California. It was yep. on your bucket list to go yep. see Willie. Exactly. One, uh, one last time, at least for you. And yep. then uh, what, what's next on your bucket list now that you're retired? Um, I'm not retired. I'm on taking, uh, what taking you a sabbatical. Thank you. Sabbatical. Yeah. Um, um, next on my bucket list is I'm going back to California next week to go to a wedding. <laughs> ah, it's not really a bucket list item, is it? It's not a bucket list. But what's on your bucket list? My bucket list. My bucket list is all the trips I'm going to be taking in the next five years. So I have Morocco. I can't wait because mm-hmm. I love that country and I just love the, the food and the excitement of the culture and everything is so cool over there. It's so beautiful. So that's one on my bucket list. Ireland is on my bucket list. Have you um, ever been to Ireland? No, no, I've never been. Take a rain jacket. I mean, it is spectacularly beautiful, but it does rain a bit. Yes. And, and when they say rain check, they actually mean that. Yes, they do. <laughs> But that's okay. I'll go in the summer yeah. <laughs> or in May. It's, it, yeah, it's not a seasonal thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I'll try to go. No, between, I'm not saying don't go. I'm saying just. I'll try yeah, to go between the super drops. super fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I just want to see it because yeah. it looks like a very interesting, beautiful country. The it countryside is. looks absolutely gorgeous. Probably more of California. Of course, I, I must say I was extremely impressed. Um, Eastern Oregon was very impressive. The, co- the California coast, as usual, I've done it many times. It's just such a beautiful part of the world. Yeah. There Did you go through any of the big fire zones when you were driving? No, when we got to Santa Barbara, the fire was off. 
So we got very fortunate. There was no fire where we went. No smoke, no fire, nothing. Uh-huh. So we got very fortunate, and I think it's probably the end of summer. So I don't think there's many fire left alive right now. So it's good. Uh, but other country to visit in northern India... I'm going to do a trip to northern India. That's fabulous. Uh-huh. I'd like to do I would more. like to do northern. I have, I have never done India, and so I, that is definitely on my bucket I've list. Done, I've done uh, Bangalore and uh, the Kurg Mountain and Hampi, and um, it was fascinating. To me, India is like being sitting in a chair. That's the way I describe it. It's been sitting in a chair and seeing slide go 10 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. You know, slide, and it's the way it felt after... Ten days I was in India, I was like, my God, it's like watching a movie at full speed. Part of it freaks me out. When you watch like shows on India on PBS or something like that, part of it freaks me out. Well, there's, it's, some, it's, there's some crazy stuff. India, to me, is like, um, when I went to India, it felt like medieval meets 2021. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how much of a discrepancy there is. You see things around you can't believe. I mean, yeah. the, the differences are fabulous, but the food, you stop in a truck stop and you get this beautiful dolly and... Totally homemade, you know, like you would anywhere in right. any country. You know, it's fresh made, and it's so delicious, so simple and delicious, you know, and things that we don't normally find here. One of my bucket list food items is uh, there's a restaurant in Madrid, I believe, or just outside of Madrid, that all they serve is suckling pig. <laughs> and they see, uh, my understanding is they see like 500 people. Much of it is outdoors, and they just have these big pig roast. They I'd, must have I'd a like lot of suckling there. pig for 500 people. I know. And that's every day, all day. So that is, uh, that's, a, that's a food bucket list for I'm, me. I must say that as uh, one of the things that was not on my bucket list but I've done, outside of Kansas City, outside of KC, there's a place called the something house. The, the something house. But anyway, they serve um, on the spit. They serve those beautiful, beautiful barbecue pig. Uh-huh. And you see the dripping fall into a stainless steel bottom pan that's about this, you know, three, four inches tall with beans. Mm-hmm. And the, dri- the fat falls on it. That's like every marketplace in France, though. You go down to yeah, the but this is like, weekly market This is American France. style, so yeah. everything is giant. Right, you know, so the, the fire, pig is 250 pounds. <laughs> the, the pit fires get five pigs going at once. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's humongous. And there is three guys maintaining that fire constantly. But it is... Just, it's just amazing. That's all they sell, and they, the only thing else they have on the menu is a trout. Right. You know, and so they have trout, or they have ribs and, you know, potato salad. And, but the, the, the actual fire to watch that whole thing to me was mesmerizing. I was like, I want to be one of those beans swimming in that fat all day long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and taste that good. <laughs> yeah, that's... Um there's so many things left on the bucket list. Oh, yeah. And some of them, oddly, are things that you've only experienced once, but you just, it was such a seminal moment in your, in your career. Like, to me, one of them, I was at a little winery with Pamela, as a matter of fact, Castella da Ama uh, in, the, in Tuscany. And they, the German cook there, who was cooking our dinner, did a little fireplace roasted chicken that to this day, I mean, I don't even love chicken. I've always said, like, life's too short to... Eat boneless, skinless chicken breast, right? So, but this chicken was—I uh, don't know where they got it from. It was probably from the backyard, uh, but it was just the saltiest, tenderest, most delicious pull-apart chicken. And it was a beautiful night that night. Do you remember that, Pam? That was a—that's a taste memory that I would love to visit again on my bucket list before 
It's like it was unbelievably. Usually, yeah, I think it was the warmth of the fire, the amount of Chianti we were drinking, and the grilled bread. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it was spectacular. Yeah. I can taste it. We today. had Rebelita to start that meal. Yeah. If you remember the bread soup and I, uh, I, I think the trip we did once to Lavaren would be that something. Would be a, yeah, I would like to do again because yeah. it would be, you know, it's. 15 years later or whatever it was. It's actually longer than that. Longer than that. 20 Our years later. Our kids were little kids oh, that's true, running that's around true, the forest true. there together. So. Oh, so it might be 25 years later. <laughs> well, I would say it's probably 20, 24, 25 years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. Chateau du Fay. Chateau du Fay. And Willen, if, you've, uh, if you're... But it would be f- nice to do it again and, and do it under the same kind of concept, but, you know, 25 years later. So the, the outcome would be very different because... I would be focusing on making sure that we cook in place. Well, Pamela right. remembers this, I'm sure, that uh, when you go out the back um, uh, and you go into the woods and there's these paths yeah. through the woods and you're yeah. not really sure which way to go. and Chestnut tree everywhere. Yeah. There was, there was, oh, it was so beautiful. Mushrooms, everyone remember that? There was like mushroom and we chestnut for- tree. And- I haven't recovered from after we went out for our five-hour lunch and we came back to the chateau. <laughs> Paul Shipman made us eat blood sausages for dinner. Good and well. Good and well. That was delicious. Yeah. But this, is, this was a little bit of a torture, you know, after five and a half hour lunch. I was so full. Yeah. But we drank a lot of wine that night. The yeah. whole week. You oh remember? My, uh, I have pictures of the. But I, of I guess my point was on a bucket list, it's not always just things you've never done before. Correct. Because to me, there's things in life that you enjoyed so much that you just can't wait to do it again at some point. Absolutely. So, and m- most likely that will never be recreated, right? There were, we were five couples, yeah. our kids. Yeah. Uh, it, it'll probably never happen the like that. Zulu. What's his name? Uh, the, the, uh, the, the farmer there that uh, who's oh, so um, um, crusty. Begins with an M. But anyway, so you know, those are funny things. Mil- the well. Mr. Milbray, yes. Milbray. Uh, the well there, the 300-foot deep water yep. well there yep. that you look down and dropped a pebble and had to wait like five seconds for it to hit the <laughs> bottom. So little fun things like that. But there's so many food things in my life that yep. I would I, I cherish. I would like to. You know, it's my 38th anniversary on Halloween, and I have never gone back to Le Creyer in Rons, oh, where Jackie and I had our honeymoon dinner 38 yeah, years ago. That's a gorgeous My place. first three-star restaurant. That's definitely a beautiful place. Yeah. I don't even know Classic. if it's still there. Oh, yeah. It's still there. Look, Jonathan Boyer, he must be dead. Well, I think he probably... He's my age. He probably... <laughs> he probably is not dead. I wouldn't quite count him dead. He's your age. Yeah. He's got to be dead. He's got to be dead. <laughs> uh, but no... What are you going to make for your anniversary dinner? Uh, I don't know yet. Ah. I think uh, I bought at the Beast and Cleaver. I bought some beautiful... Long bone short ribs from a 1,100 pound steer. I think I showed them to you, Pam. And they are about of maybe 14, 18 inches long. And uh, they those are, are real spe- ribs. Those are spectacular. So I'm going to cook those somehow, some way. Uh, long bone short ribs. But that's only the appetizer. What do you have for entrees? Yeah. <laughs> you could literally build a house with these bones. Uh, when we come back, we were supposed to talk about Pollock that last segment. That's you right. Know, we got off onto our, they get, they get our food bucket list. Uh, Tori Mann is going to be here. She is the former chef. Uh, I say former with a tear in my eye. Former chef of Lola Restaurant, uh, which opened yesterday. Uh, and uh, she's going to talk about her new project down in the Pike Place Market. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society show here in uh, downtown Seattle. We are at the Hotel Andra, right above the brand new reopened Lola restaurant. 
across the street from Serious Pie and the Dahlia Bakery. We're integrating the neighborhood with all of my joints again. Congratulations. So, thank you. Uh, our good friend and former Lola chef Tori Mann is here. Uh, Tori, you helmed Lola for how long? Uh, about two and a half years, two maybe a, a little years. bit longer. Felt longer. Felt long. Yeah. <laughs> Did. It's a busy, busy restaurant. With I know. Lola's a beast that way compared to say, some of our restaurants. So Lola was breakfast, lunch, and dinner, 365 days a year. Uh, like, you know, for example, I say it's a beast, and I mean that in the nicest way, because like Carlisle Room, for example, now is open five nights a week, five mm-hmm. hours a mm-hmm. night, no lunch, no brunch, no, you know. Yeah. This, is, this is the same guy who used to mock me, but didn't doing exactly that. <clears throat> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, you only open five hours a day for five days a week. <laughs> well, there's beauty in the beast, too, because yes. you have such a, a wide variety of hours and times, you can schedule more people, and everything really gets on a really good flow. Yeah. 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 Which is super helpful in running It's doable. Yeah. Not, we obviously, you did a fabulous job at it, and some of the folks here said they had their favorite breakfast ever there. There at Lola, so do you miss us at all? Like, even do you think back for one second and say, <sighs> "Say the truth, God. Tori, tell the you truth." Know, I'm getting up. I'm going to work this morning, and I'm really no. missing that I don't get to see Tom Douglas today. I, I remember these beautiful years as a young cook when I would come in early and not clock in and keep working and just make the most beautiful minced shallots and garnish tray at Rovers. Ah. <laughs> And not clocked in, huh? Huh? You were wondering if it was you. Hey, I didn't have a gun to make her do that. I was going to say, as soon as you said not clocked in, I knew it wasn't us. (laughs) No, uh, you know, you definitely miss all the people that you get used to seeing all day. And it's such a family in the restaurant industry when you work such long hours and Mm -hmm. you work so hard and you just depend on these people. And it just, you know, all of us. And they depend on you. And they do. We were so thrown in chaos and everyone kind of fell off into the world. And it's interesting to see people back at it and it's been so fascinating you know the 18 19 months in between mm-hmm. well of course for me you know we, we were two weeks so i don't really have the same kind of understanding of that gap of time because mm-hmm. uh you know we opened on the dock at the at the warehouse yeah. within two weeks of closing everything so it's just a weird weird thing let's talk about your new project Indeed. let's not live in the past let's move forward <laughs> so i am working with a lady named stephanie king on a new grocery store and meal kit concept of a business it's a startup we have just opened our doors very softly and quietly uh down at the pike place market the old louis space right uh the louis, Cuisine, uh, louis grocery pear delicatessen yeah, pear is del- what it same was. Thing, yeah. yep, right next door to the pike and western wine mm-hmm. shop mm-hmm. and i'm so excited at pike and western to have you we feel very lucky a lot of the neighborhood people have stopped in and been so excited because a grocery store is something that's missing from downtown seattle mm-hmm. and i know there was the was it the ralph's or the iga over on fourth that was there for a little the crest while? isn't oh, that crest? still there is that gone no it's still there oh it was still there a year ago okay whatever it's a different kind of grocery store. It's a store. different kind of grocery store. Yeah. So we're excited to bring a grocery store where you can have, uh, it's kind of a different way to shop. So it is very curated, small selection of items. But the idea of the store is that you can come in and solve all of your meal dilemmas and what to make and get good ideas of what to do as you come in and to have ways to save time. So the store is set up in a few different ways. You can come in like a traditional grocery store. There's a small produce section. There's small amounts of dry goods and a small meat department. Or you can come in and we have a wall full of recipes that we've been working on developing and shop the store. And you could it'll tell you what to buy as you go down to make each recipe. And then they all come together. And a lot of our products are kind of a shortcut product, like a pre-started risotto base. So one of, for instance, the recipe we have right now is a squash risotto. And you 
are told to buy the risotto base, buy a compound butter to finish it with. And in order to make it more squashy, we have a beautiful squash soup that we're adding into the risotto. And so you grab all these things and you take it home and you're able to make this beautiful gourmet meal in about 25 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then the third faucet of facet of it all is to have meal kits built into it. So you could just really come in and grab a kit ready to go and take it home and make the dinner without any thought put into it. And then because we're at the market, we, of course, have some uh, grab-and-go options for lunch and dinner as well. Wow, that sounds beautiful. It sounds like what downtown needs as a store. We are hoping so. And <laughs> we'd now like you're to- working with uh, Paul, is that right? Is, is Paul the from uh, Will... Uh, Not Willa Kenzie. What's the winery? Will Ridge. Will Ridge Winery. Is he working there, too? Is that his project? Nope. nope. Uh, this is uh, the brainchild of Stephanie King. So she was working in um, private label grocery for a long time prior to the pandemic, and uh-huh. she always had the idea of starting a grocery store. So, oh, really? Okay. So uh, it's different than I was thinking. Yeah. yeah, and I was hooked up with her, so it's great to be working with a It's nice. It's a strong female team that's opening mm-hmm. the store, and... Just trying to get it off the ground, and we practiced some, some meal kits a little bit earlier this year. We've been working with her this whole year and developing recipes and doing a small delivery thing. And Do you also have all the recipes online so one can preconceive what they're going to have for dinner? So we have QR codes linked to all the ones that are in the store. It's so fancy and technology. Mm-hmm. It looks beautiful now, but... Uh, you will be able to go online and look at some recipes as well. That sounds fabulous. You know, Chef, uh, it's, it's not lost on me that typically when other chefs come to do our radio show, they bring us a little taste treat. <laughs> and it's not lost on me that uh, Tori did not... Um, I did. I came empty-handed Came empty-handed uh, without any of the well, beautiful she knew, food she's talking about. She knew we already had the mission crab and uh, breakfast sandwich from... Yeah, uh, I've, I've been running around already. all morning and I haven't made it down yet to uh, even stop and grab something. Has anything from Lola's kind of translated into your food thought? I mean, you were so ingrained into the Greek spirit... Here, you, you made your own gyro meat. You just, I mean, that's what I loved about your creativity, you know, when you were chefing here. It was here. fun. It's, it's been a challenge and very interesting to figure out where along the lines we can introduce different cultures and how to be sensitive about it and not feel like we're stepping on anyone's toes. Yeah, we were just talking about yeah. cultural yeah, appropriation. Yeah, we were talking yeah, about that. Exactly, yeah. and how, how it's a cultural appreciation versus the cultural right, appropriation right, and right. making sure that comes through. And developing things that people will want to buy. I've definitely, you know, made tzatziki for a meal kit here and there, for <laughs> yeah, sure. Exactly. Uh, and then just the way that people eat has changed over the pandemic. So it's been interesting to see people do want to cook at home. And they, when they weren't able to go out to restaurants, they definitely wanted these very large, extravagant meal kits where it felt like they were having a restaurant dinner at home. And as it's progressed and further into it, we've got... We find that people want just simpler things and homier mm-hmm. things. Yeah, I think, I think people want to cook at home a couple of times, but then they're not chefs. So mm-hmm. they do want the they stuff. Want, I'd say they want to reheat at home. Yeah, the reheat <laughs> I think, I think home it's is, exactly what is it is. Very I think, popular. Yeah. I think that the most popular food to go, whatever, I don't really know how to call that, but all that prepped food, you know, I don't think the, uh, the raw onion unpeeled in the box is as appealing as a diced <laughs> already ready to cook or even cooked onion you know all you have to do is warm it up that's exactly what we found in the kits that we make we like to call it prep to the point of fun Mm -hmm. so all the things that you don't want to do we take care of you get a little container of minced garlic so you don't have to peel and mince garlic exactly risotto base Mm -hmm. is halfway started the meat is seasoned for you so that that takes that complicated thought where you're like oh i don't know if i'm messing it up and takes it out of the equation so you're able to just create a beautiful and a good 
prep list, a good, you know, it's, I think it's important in the meal kit to have a good, you know, numbers and exactly what to do because people don't really know. They don't know what your vision is. Yeah, they want so that hand-hold and if yeah. we're there to get well, to them, Well, not only right. that, but, the, you know, you think about the uh, recipe calls for celery and you go to and they, all they sell is one head of celery. Mm-hmm. There's, I, I do think that's an interesting thing about meal kits is that you get exactly the amount that you're supposed to use. Right. Mm-hmm. You don't have everything going rotten in your exactly. veggie drawer right. in the fridge. Which so. is what I'm really excited about being in the Pike Place Market because I think if we could somehow get out to the everyone that comes in and has Airbnbs or vacation mm-hmm. homes, a meal kit is so perfect for that. I've taken right. a few myself up to like cabins and you don't know what they're going to have so you have everything ready to go. Oh. Okay, now let's, you know, we've got your business out of the way. We've got right. your history out of the way. Let's talk about fishing. Because right. you are a fisherwoman like nobody I've ever met before. Uh, and you, you force, like force March your child out there to we, do it with you. We do. She's good. She actually has reeled in three coho this year. Wow. So she's crushing it. She's six. <laughs> uh, coho we, are bigger than she is. Sometimes. Yeah. Uh, we had a pretty good year. We had the first week of salmon in areas 9 and 10. I think we brought home 23 or 24 kings. Nice. So we had a real good year in fishing, and we've really dialed in our program. We're best at Chinook. Coho's a little bit harder, and uh, we definitely took a, some kids out for a couple pink days this year. Uh-huh. So that was fun. And what do you do? You're out there on a boat with these little kids, and you're, you know, fishing is a patience sport. What do you do with these little rascals? Not when out there, there is a lot of them, well, Tom. <laughs> well, when you have multiple ones, they entertain each other. But okay. but when you take just Grace, she's gotten real good at going back to sleep. Has she? <laughs> yeah, yep. that's yep. good. So when I took Loretta out, I just said you have to bait the hook. <laughs> I totally grossed her out, and she never wanted to go again. <laughs> yeah, trolling's a little bit different. We don't we don't have her doing that much, but uh, she goes out there and she loves seeing the pole go off, and she yells "fish on, fish on!" and really? she's very excited about it all. And she gets to go and do all the fun things with us. Yeah. She loves we do the Elliott Bay Shrimp Day, and she thinks that's just the best thing ever. And yeah. she's all ready to go squidding, so we'll probably be doing that in the next month. Squidding's so fun. I mean, you're jigging for squid fun. is really fun. And it's very satisfying to get them. They come up out of the water. All their tentacles spray out. There's mm-hmm. ink, everywhere. ink everywhere. It's just yeah. comedy. Yeah. And uh, it's been real good in the Puget Sound for the last four or five years. You can go out and fill up your bucket in a couple uh-huh. hours. And Tori Mann has been our guest. Go check out uh, her new... Kitchen and Market. Kitchen and Market down in the Pike Place Market. It's just in between the block of Stewart and Virginia. Yep. Uh, on Pike Place. Mm-hmm. There right on the, in the uh, market. On the east side of the street. So right across from Victor Steinbrook Park. Thanks, Tori, for coming back and sharing some of your history. Colleen's over there. She's not letting you leave the building, just so you I know. We got, we got a room upstairs, and you're going to be tied to the, <laughs> tied to the stove. Uh, when we come back, uh, you're going to join us, I think, for Food for Thought Tasty Trivia brought to you by Rub Uh-oh. with Love Spice Rubs. I'm worried now. You should, you should be worried. <laughs> She's a pistol. On Cairo, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back to the last and final segment of the uh, Hot Stove Society radio show. Uh, it is time for Rub with Love, Food for Thought, Tasty Trivia. Uh, it is a challenge today. Chef Tori Mann is here. Chef in the Chapeau, Terry Rotaro is here. And, of course, um, I will be here as the whipping boy uh, <laughs> to lose once again, as I have We're been have lately. We're going to have to team up, Tori. Food for Thought, Tasty Trivia is brought to you by Rub with Love, Tasty Spice Rubs. Uh, they're handcrafted at my building in ballard they're versatile i have sauces and mustards and they all add a flavorful kick and a whole lot of love to just about any meat fish or vegetable you can find them in your local grocery stores it's certainly all the seattle area major grocery stores 
as well as made in Washington stores. I think Tori's going to put them in her new store down in the Pike Place Market. <laughs> Town and Center Hardware, McClendon's Hardware, Double A Meats in Lakewood, all over the place. Or last resort, go to TomDouglas.com backslash shop. Okay, Pamela, who's, uh, who's our winner and how do you play the game? Our lucky winners today are our live radio audience. Yay! Yay! And they are going to get the new Harvest Trio, which, of course, includes Veggie Rub that I'm so proud wait, wait, of. Wait, wait, wait. They're each getting the trio? A per couple. Oh, yeah. per couple. Yeah. My God, God, this is an expensive show. Well, I, I want to be like Oprah Winfrey hey, when I grow up. you know what's great? I, I want to lose and I want to pay for the shipping. Yeah. <laughs> no, I carry, no, I carry it from to here to there. Today. Yeah. So there's a, we have three contestants each going to get five uh, questions. The one that gets most wrong, we're going to make fun of. Yeah. Okay. So, they have to walk out of here with the big L on their forehead. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Uh, Terry traditionally goes first. Go ahead. Number one, are pumpkins vegetables or fruits? Vegetables. They're fruits. Of course they are. <laughs> As I said, vegetables. Pumpkins, along with cucumbers, tomatoes, and avocados, come from the flowers of their plants, which is what makes them a fruit. Number two, what is the average number of seeds in a pumpkin? I would say 297. Each pumpkin contains about 500 seeds. Number three, um, in celebration of Halloween, the most popular Halloween candy varies by state. Uh, what is the most popular Halloween candy in Alabama? <laughs> like pro- I would say a proline. Like, 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 no, I would say uh, the, something with pecan. As of 2021, Starburst take the title you in know, Alabama. I did think about Starburst. That's my but favorite I... Starburst flavor is the pecan one. While uh, Swedish Fish is the winner in Georgia, but most of the other states eat Reese's, Peanut Butter Cups, Milky Ways, and M&M's. Ooh, the other states are rich. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Number four, what is the most popular seafood in America? Shrimp. Shrimp. Yay. This one you're going to nail. Which state harvests the most fish in our country alaska <laughs> yes. that would be a hard Hooray. two out of five two out of five tori you up good luck All right. <laughs> i've, I've seen that poll about halloween candy they claim that tootsie roll is the most popular in washington state and i do oh, not believe no it. way no way peanut butter cups all the peanut way peanut butter cups Come now on. that you can get them in dark chocolate and too. theo makes them too just saying awfully delicious yeah. does theo make this one that reese's has that has pretzels inside the <laughs> peanut butter cup. Well, yeah. you, you know, the one that Pamela designed at Theo when she was working there was bread and bread and, sal- and salt, right? Or, yeah. yeah. Yeah, salted breadcrumbs. All right, Miss Tori. All right. Which fruit has names like Baby Bear, Spooktacular, Ghost Rider, Tricky Jack, and Sweetie Pie? All pumpkins available. Yes! She's screaming into the lead. Atlantic giants are the largest overall species of pumpkins. How much weight can they gain in a day? Depends on if it's milk-fed or not, I'm guessing. (laughs) But I'm going to guess about 25 pounds a day in its max. Pretty close. 50 is what the (laughs) Wow. So we give her a half point because she's halfway there. Uh, well, you saw the poll, so you might remember. Dunkin' Donuts and Hershey Coffee teamed up to create candy-flavored coffee. Ugh. What popular flavors did they offer? Dunkin' Donuts and Hershey's together. Isn't that weird? Snickers-flavored caramel cream coffee. 
pretty close. Got to be a mocha something, don't you think? And yeah, it's got to be just their plain milk chocolate. Mm. Milk. Um, they offered Heath Bar coffee and almond joy flavored ah. options. Heath bars are for blizzards. <laughs> Number four. How do scientists tell how old a fish is? They do testing on its scales. That is probably also true. Oh, look at that. <laughs> Hinkley is so... <laughs> yeah. Also, you could ask the fisherman, how is your fish? Okay. Um, the answer was er, ear growth rate. Yeah, so there's a little bone in their ear also that they can check. But here in Washington, all of our department guys, there's uh, a lot of the hatchery fish get chipped. There's a tiny piece of wire that goes in. And we got a few that were chipped this year, mm-hmm. so I got reports on oh, where my fish were hatched. <laughs> She and they did. also take a scale sample to mm-hmm. check in. What was, your, what was the answer on your sheet there, Pam? Ear, ear bone growth. Oh, ear bone okay. Growth. Um, and number five, do fish have eyelids? I actually, I don't think they do. They don't. <laughs> tremendous, tremendous participation. Three Thank you. Five. Three yes. out of five. Job, All right, Mr. Douglas, we're coming for you. It's not chocolate between the layers of the wafers in Kit Kat bars. What is it? Caramel. It is actually recycled Kit Kats. Technicians pull any imperfect Kit Kats with off-center wafers or not enough shine uh, and grind them into a paste. And mix it with caramel. (laughs) (laughs) They don't just sit there with dust. Point one. One tenth of one percent. Uh, Number two. I love this one. How do Pollock communicate? Wag their their tail at each other. <laughs> Fishes communicate chemically and by visual cues. So yeah, maybe like the a, tail. Like a tail. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Tori, do we give him that one? I, that's how I think they communicate. <laughs> <laughs> Pumpkins have a whopping 245% of your recommended daily intake of which vitamin? Carotene, because they're orange. A, vitamin A, that would be. (laughs) It also has 19% of your vitamin C and 8% of your iron. It's a veritable superfood. There you go. Uh, Every eight hours, Mars, New Jersey factory produces approximately how many M&Ms in eight hours? In eight hours, that's a full shift. They're probably around 24-7 this time of year. Uh, so they're at full speed in eight hours. So that would be uh, a billion. Two billion. Two billion. Half a point. How? <laughs> uh, that works out to four million M&Ms a minute. Uh, and concluding with, is it true a dentist invented cotton candy? Absolutely true. Because it it's isn't. floss. It's yeah. <laughs> absolutely true. How do you do, Terry? Two and a half. <laughs> All right, that makes Tori our winner and Terry our loser. <laughs> and that makes our, our guest here today the first radio show guest that we've had in our studio in 19 months, almost 20 months. Oh, yeah. um, thank you for coming and braving the, the wilds of the rainstorm here today in downtown Seattle. Uh, we look forward to hosting any of you who want to come. Go to hotstovesociety.com, buy a ticket. And you get a delicious breakfast. Is that not true? Can we hear it for the breakfast? Yes. Delicious uh, Dahlia Bakery breakfast sandwich.
And the coffee is not bad either. If you want to be part of the show, you can join our community on Facebook at Hot Stove Society Radio Show, or you can buy a ticket to come to the show at Hot Stove Society Radio Ticket Place. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to us on Cairo. The show is produced by Pamela Hinckley, sound and production by Sean McFadden, and our editor is Sean Don't Call Me Del Torre. Remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society show on Cairo, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. Thank you for listening and have a fabulous weekend.